Hi Rachel, what are you doing? Just putting together episode 54 of the Lessons from Lost podcast. Wow, and who are you talking to this week? Lovely lady called Sarah Price. And what's Sarah's story? Well, she tells us about using what she learned through her dastardly decade of loss to grieve in a more healthy way when her mum died more recently. That sounds really quite sad and quite interesting as well. She is full of good advice. That's excellent. Does she have any advice about porcupines? Oh, we'll have to wait and see. Let's find out, shall we? Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guides our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences and also the impact that hearing these stories may have on you, the listener. So please take care as you listen. So today I'm super happy to be eventually talking with Sarah Price. We've had a few failed attempts, so it's wonderful to be finally doing this. Sarah is a rebellious optimist with a strictly no BS approach to business, a serial entrepreneur driven by her desire to help other purpose-led business owners and coaches to make a difference, make a living and change the world. Sarah is also no stranger to loss, having lived through what she describes as a dastardly decade in her 30s, which included the passing of her grandmother, best friend, both marriage and divorce, a hysterectomy as a result of cancer, the impact of multiple surgeries following a horrific accident and her job. And after a period that was perhaps relatively more settled in comparison, Sarah's mum passed away last year, adding to that sort of compounded impact of multiple loss and complex grief. So welcome along to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. And I'm I'm sorry we've had to postpone a couple of times, but it's really good to be here now. Yeah, it's great to be uh, to be chatting with you. And I know that yesterday was the first anniversary of the passing of your mum and reaching that sort of milestone is, I mean, it is a milestone, isn't it? Because on yeah. top of the grief, you know, you've had to experience the first birthdays, the first Christmas, Mother's Day, all, all those dates and situations and occasions where the loss and, you know, the empty hole is felt so acutely and I know that I still find the time around the anniversary of my husband's death a time of sort of emotional rockiness you know sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad but there's you know there's there's an edge to it you know even 23 years later on so I really hope that the timing of this conversation today feels okay to acknowledge you know both the the life of your mum and the challenges of your first year so how's it been for you? It's been, as you say, it's been quite rocky. Um, and interestingly, that surprised me. And now looking back, I can't believe it surprised me because, of course, of course, it was going to be um, a, a difficult time in, in many ways. Um, a very, very good friend of mine um, sent me a beautiful message yesterday. And she said, you've made it through your year of firsts. And I hadn't really thought of it that way before. But as you say, you know, my birthday was less than three weeks after mum died. Um, And then there was the first Christmas. My mum's birthday was in January. So we had her first 
you know, the first birthday without her, the first Mother's Day, all of those things were these big milestones over the course of the year that, you know, I, I said in a, a um, in a post not that long ago that, that grief is this incredibly unpredictable emotion that that has no respect whatsoever for for convenience or calendars um and some of those milestones grief just surged back at me in this huge wave and others of them there was more of a celebratory you know sort of celebrating her life type of feeling to it and it was completely unpredictable which way it would go. Um, and over the course of the last couple of weeks, everybody had warned me that the first anniversary was going to be was 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 potentially a difficult time. And over the last couple of weeks, there has definitely been that sort of roller coaster of plunging back into grief, but then also um, moments of real celebration. Um, my sister and I had dinner last night, uh, the beginning, I hope, of a new tradition that we will um, we will try and get together for dinner every every year on the anniversary. And that evening encapsulated that roller coaster. There were moments where we were both in tears and there were moments when we were both howling with laughter um, at some ridiculous story of, you know, dancing around the kitchen with mum when we were kids. So it's been a roller coaster. Um, it's it's probably been more of a roller coaster than I expected, um, and I think it's easy to be impatient with ourselves mm. um, and to you know to to berate ourselves and say I should be over this by now. You know, it's been a year, or it's been two years, or it's been ten years, and you know I should just be over it. But as I said, grief is the most unpredictable of emotions, and it bears absolutely. No, it pays no respect to calendars at all. It does what it needs to do in its own time. Um, and I think we just have to learn to be patient with ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no respect to um, our expectations of when we should experience it either. I found that I could be, um, you know, I could go to places where I would have expected to have a wave of grief, but then actually when I got a surge of it, I was probably down the aisle of Sainsbury's looking for the baked beans. <laughs> I found myself crying in a supermarket not that long ago, actually, um, because, you know, they always play that terrible tinny music or, you know, whatever. Um a song came on that was one of mum's favourite songs. And so I'm standing in the middle of the cereal aisle in the supermarket in floods of tears. Um, and then sitting on my sofa the other day watching Sex Education, which I love and think is hysterical. But there was a storyline that suddenly came up in the programme where uh, one of the main characters' mother died. Um, and that was me, totally in floods of tears. Um, so, you know, the most unpredictable moments um and then as you say other moments that don't affect me in that way at all that you think would make you upset it's very strange it's a very strange very unpredictable relation and the only thing you can do is be patient with it and let go of your own expectations of you know I say to people all the time you need to let go of should I should feel mm. x I should be better I should just let go of should, let go of expectations, be patient with yourself and allow yourself the space um, and the time when you need it 
to to feel and process and release grief because if you store it up or you don't you don't release it you don't process it it just the process just takes longer it doesn't go yes. away it just takes longer and and you have found that with your own experiences yeah of loss yeah 100 percent um about over 20 years ago now my best friend died um and he was in his 30s um and uh had been ill for a while and had been constantly misdiagnosed so that by the time he was diagnosed um with quite a, a an aggressive form of lymphoma cancer um it was really too late and so um so he he died it took about I think six months probably from when he was first diagnosed and I remember it very clearly because I was away um he and I had talked about it it was a a long planned trip to a tiny island off the coast of Maine in the United States and he and I had had a long conversation about it and he was like I want you to go you have to go I was going to see my one of my other best friends Tara I want you to go, you have to go, you know, you need to get away. Because I had spent, you know, I had been at the hospice with him every day and at the hospital every day. And he was like, I really, really want you to go, go and take this break. And so I did. Um, and he died whilst I was there. And I remember taking myself off down to the beach. And I sat there for about two hours and I let myself cry and scream and, you know, what have you. And then I really clearly remember saying, right, pull yourself together. Um, you know, you, you, I didn't want to make the people that were there uncomfortable. Um, I was with, I mean, my best friend Tara totally would have understood, but her husband was there and his family was there and there were other friends of ours were there. And I didn't want them to feel uncomfortable. So I pulled myself together. And, um, and I never really unpicked that knot you know I sort of tied everything up and put it into a box and tied a big ribbon around it and went right I'll kind of I'll deal with that later and I never did I never took the box down and dealt with it and many 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 years later working with a very good healer um, and therapist um, what I realized was that I that grief had basically just been leaking out um, for years in many 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 different ways um, because I had never properly dealt with it never properly processed it and as I say those sorts of emotions whether it's anger or it's grief or it's fear or whatever that emotion is when you shut it up in a box and suppress it and refuse to deal with it and refuse to process it it doesn't in fact go away um, it just sits in your system and waits <laughs> yeah. and waits for you to deal with it. And every now and again, it's like it sends a little reminder, you know, so if it's anger and you suppress it, it doesn't go away. It leaks out when you totally lose your temper about, I don't know, dropping a mug or or they're not having the right 
type of cereal in the supermarket and you completely fly off the handle you're not angry about the, the cereal or the mug it's that box of anger that you've not processed that's just kind of lifting the lid and going still here yeah. just in case you were wondering I'm still here and I think grief is the same if you don't process it you don't release it you put it in that box you know so for 20 years this grief would every now and again it would just like open up the lid of the box and peek out and go still here and yup I'm gonna make you cry now for no apparent reason or I'm gonna make you have this huge emotional reaction for no apparent reason and honestly it confused the hell out of me I was like what is going on I don't understand and this healer therapist said yeah that's unprocessed grief that's what happens it will just keep leaking out until you're prepared to turn and face it and take the lid off the box and deal with it. Was that so, a bit of a light bulb moment for you? Did you go, ah, yeah, it was crazy. It, it was a massive light bulb moment for me, I think. And and I'm very glad that I had that light bulb moment before mum died. I mean, first of all, I think it's really important that we do not beat ourselves up for whatever we have done in the past to survive these kind of very, very difficult situations. Um, you know, this is not about saying there is a right or a wrong way to do it. There is just a more effective way or a more efficient way or a better, you know, a way that will be more supportive of you in the long run. But whatever you, you do. If you haven't experienced it before or observed somebody else going through it, then you you don't know, do you? You don't, you exactly. don't know how you're meant to, or not even how you're meant to. You don't. You, you just don't know what it's going to be like, or how to navigate it. You have to find your way, which and is, it doesn't say, help the, the most efficient way. Exactly, it doesn't help that we don't talk about it very much, which is why I think this podcast is so important. Because you know, we don't talk about death, we don't talk about grief, we don't talk about how to deal with it, how to process it. I think that's very much part of our culture um, that, you know, we, we don't talk about difficult emotions and we don't teach our children um, how to deal with them either. So, you know, we grow up, we become adults and we still have no clue how to cope with anger, grief, fear, you know, the big emotions. We don't know how to cope with love for goodness sake. So, you know, I think, I think, talking about it sharing our experiences of it um and sharing tips ideas advice it's not about saying what you've done is wrong it's about saying here's here's what i did that worked for me it might work for you um and for for me learning having that insight about jamie's death and about how that processing of that grief hadn't actually helped me and that grief hadn't gone away um, meant that when mum died, um, I was much better prepared for actually dealing with it. And, you know, we were in the middle of October is one of the busiest periods in my business. We run a big 21 day um, bonanza during October and it's you know it, it's off the charts busy 
And, and it is I, fabulous. So if anybody oh, does have their own business, I recommend you do check out Sarah's actually uh, oh, business. <laughs> I I love it, and and it's you know it's one of my favourite things to do each year is is the is the October bonanza. But of course, I I came back from um from being at my mum's bedside and was you know grief stricken, um and had to sit down with Hannah, my assistant, and say. I'm I'm really sorry, but I I need to take some time. Um, and we cleared my diary. Um, we got rid of everything. Well, I was going to say we got rid of everything we could. We got rid of everything in my diary during that period, and I gave myself two weeks to just be with the grief. Mm. And it was both horrific. <laughs> Um, and a very healing time. Um, and, and that wasn't the end. You know, we've just been talking about the fact that, you know, a year later, I'm, I'm still hit by big waves of grief. But it definitely, for me, felt like a much healthier way of dealing with things than, than it had been 20 years previously when Jamie died. And I think that's the key, isn't it, is to, that it's, because we can't, you know, we can't stop and, and we shouldn't stop. You know, we have to experience grief. And I, and I always I always work on the basis in life that actually in order to experience great joy, the greatest of joys, you've also got to have endured some some deep, deep sorrow as well to be able to sort of get that that huge comparison and that depth of feeling. So we should go through that grief, but it's whether it feels like it's healthy and that it's a process that I'm just moving through and I'm I'm whilst I'm not enjoying it I'm okay with being with those emotions because they're right and natural that I should have that as opposed to the the less helpful the the unhealthier way of of I suppose almost fighting against it resisting it denying it yeah it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, we, we make such a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We make such a virtue of being strong yeah. um, and being brave. And, um, and actually in certain circumstances, yes, of course, being brave and being strong is a virtue in some circumstances, but I don't feel that it is in this one. And, you know, having watched and supported several family members and friends going through that grieving process um I, I think if I could if I could give anybody one piece of advice it would be don't try and be strong and don't I think we suppress how we feel as I did back when Jamie died because of our desire not to make other people uncomfortable mm-hmm. and how can I put this in the nicest possible way it's just tough right? Tough. If if my grief makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to make myself ill and and suppress my genuine, authentic emotions about this thing that has happened simply because to express that emotion makes you uncomfortable. That That's just, you know, in the nicest possible sense, that's just too bad. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that 
the more that people learn to be okay with those expressions of emotion, the less we will see people sacrificing that healthy expression of emotion for other people's comfort. I saw it with my niece. My niece lost her first love um, uh, when she was in her very early 20s. Um, a man that she had, he was her first love. He was the first boy she fell in love with. They were together for a good few years. Um, they were absolutely, you know, intertwined in that way that, you know, you are when you're that age and you, mm -hmm. you've fallen in love for the first time. And he was this glorious, wonderful human being who who our whole family loved him. And And when he died, she was grief stricken, obviously, completely heartbroken. And luckily, again, I'd, I'd had that realization working with my healer um, about Jamie's death and about processing grief. And I remember saying to her, um, she came and stayed with me for a while and she was, you know, in floods of tears and she kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I must pull myself together. And I said, you absolutely do not have to pull yourself together, nor do you need to apologize to me. When people say, you know, there, 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 stop crying. What they're really saying is that your emotion makes them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So could you please stop? And I said, just don't pay any attention to that. Right? If, if, if you need to cry, cry. Don't apologize for it because there's nothing to be sorry for. And I remember talking to her about it years later. Um, and she said it was the most helpful thing the most helpful piece of advice because she just kept remembering it's it's okay it's okay to cry you don't have to be strong and I don't have to apologize and I know that you would like me to stop crying because it makes you uncomfortable but I'm really sorry that's just too bad yeah yeah and it's kind of a, a double um it's a double approach thing isn't it because it's not only about um you know advice for somebody who is supporting someone through grief that actually you've got to overcome your own stuff about grief to give them space space to grieve but it's mm. also if you are the person going through grief is perhaps changing your perception that your grief is making someone uncomfortable as well because I know I I had that perception so I did all of my grieving in my car on my own never cried with or very rarely ever cried with anybody and that was that was my perception that I didn't want to put my grief onto them but actually having spoken you know obviously at length with you know with those close friends who were, were around me you know they were saying we just wanted you to cry <laughs> so it, it's you know and I so it's it's a learning on both those sides, isn't it? That actually in terms of, yes, in supporting somebody, allowing them that space, but actually if you are the person grieving, to not necessarily assume that they can't mm -hmm. they can't yeah. handle your grief, that they can't give you that space and, and time and comfort that you need. No, absolutely. And I mean, I, I have been so incredibly blessed over the past year that I have extraordinary friends um, many of whom have experienced, you know, a lot of grief themselves um, and, and many of whom haven't. And 
here's the thing there there is no you know i was talking to someone the other day who said i don't know what to say you know this another friend of ours has lost a parent recently and um and she said i don't know what to say to her um because i said oh have you been in touch with so and so she said no i haven't been in touch because i don't know what to say i said look here's the thing my lovely there is no right thing to say because what that person wants to hear more than anything else is that it's all been a terrible mistake and actually their loved one isn't gone and you can't say that. So there really is no right thing to say in these circumstances. They just need to know that you're there. And even if the only thing you say is, I am so incredibly sorry for your loss. I wish I knew what to say, yeah. but I don't. I just want you to know that I'm here. That's perfect it's honest it's true and it's perfect but the worst thing you the worst thing to say is nothing at all is not to acknowledge the grief is not to acknowledge that that person is in deep loss is is to leave them thinking that they have to suppress it because it's making everybody uncomfortable yeah um, or leave them feeling like they're alone now, I've seen friends become very isolated in grief because they've assumed nobody wants to to hear it or see it. And on the other side, people haven't known what to say. So they think, oh, the best thing is to say nothing. Um, and actually, even if you don't know what to say, say something, acknowledge yes. it. Yeah, yeah. Even if just checking in with them with the text saying, I'm thinking of you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. No, that's that's so that's such sound advice to um to give to anyone who's who's not sure on how to how to navigate their their way through somebody else's grief and loss. Yeah, having having good friends around who aren't afraid to do that journey with you is, is oh, crucial. It's, it's... Mm. It is absolutely essential, I think, essential. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know that I had missed that um, in my in previous periods of grief until I had it this time and realised quite how much of a difference it had made. I remember coming back, my mum lived on the Isle of Wight and I was actually in Paris for the weekend when I got the phone call from her residential home to say I needed to come back and I needed to do it quickly. Um, and it was an incredible panic to get back. We were there in the middle of Paris Fashion Week. There were no, you know, there were no seats available on any planes to come back earlier. There were no seats on the Eurostar. I was looking at, you know, do I hire a car? Like, how do I get back? And... Um, we managed to get onto a Eurostar and come back. And then, you know, how do I get from here to the Isle of Wight? I don't have my car. My car is in Deal, which is where I live. If I go from Eurostar to Deal and get my car and then drive, I'll miss the last. I mean, it was it was this panic. And the thing that got through all of that was was my incredible friends. You know, my friend's husband who picked me up at the Eurostar terminal in London at St Pancras and drove me through the night to get to the Isle of Wight um, in time for the last ferry, in time to be at my mum's bedside. Um, you know, the friends who uh, three days later after she died 
and I was stranded on the Isle of Wight with no car and you know who who you know the, the woman from the home who took me to the to the ferry terminal the friend who picked me up on the other side um and and then this little convoy of friends who took it in turns and drove me and then they they met at a service station and kind of handed me over like a parcel um and the friend who when I got home gave me a big bag of shopping and said because I'd been away by that point for you know over a week and it's like here here are some basics that you're going to need um you know, the friends who checked in, the friends who who travelled from all over the place to come to the funeral. I, I'd never fully appreciated quite how important that kind of support is and, and can be, as I say, until I had it and realised what a massive, massive difference it had made. And that's such a, a lovely combination of both practical support and emotional support, isn't it? So I think sometimes if you don't know... If you don't know what to do, think about, well, what 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 am I able to do? Where do my strengths lie? So if it's organising, you know, go and get a bag of shopping. Even if it's not shopping that they necessarily want, just that gesture is is enough, isn't it? Or bake a cake or, or yeah. to, you know, to, to send the message just saying, I'm thinking of you. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, there are, there are so many things to do. One of the things that I remember talking to a good friend of mine about, and um, there are so many things to do between the point where someone passes away and their funeral. Um, you know, you, you are caught up in what my lovely friend Daisy calls death men, you know, yeah. death admin, um, you know, registering death and organising funerals and organising the wake and notifying all the right people and, you know, all of that. It, it takes up a huge amount of time. Um, so if you're good with administration and you're good with admin and organisation, 100% offer to help with that because it's actually, it's good because it's a, a useful distraction, but it's also can be very overwhelming. Yes. Um, I remember registering mum's death and, it was COVID times and, you know, we were limited with what travel we could do and all of that sort of stuff. And I was right in the midst of grief and having to sit and go through this form with this very sweet person, this very sweet man at the, at the registry office. But actually looking back at having somebody with me at that point, that was one of the things that I had to do on my own for various reasons. But um, having somebody with me at that point would have been massively useful because he kept he was asking basic questions and I'd be sitting there going I can't remember yeah what was your mum's date of birth I, I can't remember so having someone who you know is good at that sort of admin and organization would have been would have been amazing um but what my friends were really good at was recognizing that after the funeral in many ways is the worst period because up until the funeral you're so busy yeah that that actually in a way that acts as as I say as a distraction and then the funeral happens and there's you know this this sort of public recognition of 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 death and celebration of life and then <laughs> and then what because mm -hmm now you're not busy with all of the uh, with all of that administration anymore you no longer have the distraction everybody moves on 
and and then you're left with with the grief Um, and I don't know that this is true but I suspect that my friends had private conversations you know what I mean separate conversations and said right we all know that post the funeral Sarah's going to struggle and it was almost like they had a little rotor you know every day somebody different got in touch with me it was never the same person twice but every day somebody different and I think they actually planned it I've never asked them but I think they did um because they knew that after the funeral was in many ways the worst time and as I say just thinking about those little things when when you when you have a friend who's going through grief it made the most enormous difference to me um to know after the funeral that you know I wasn't on my own that's lovely also that shares shares the the responsibility Mm. to look out for you amongst a few people yeah they're yeah. Not falling falling to one has going through this grief for your mum in a healthier way helped in any way with any sort of residual grief about you know that decade what did you what decade did you call it Oh, the, 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 sorry, the dastardly the, decade. The dastardly has decade. That, has that has that yeah. helped? You know, you with a different perspective on on what happened to you during that decade, because that was, you know, that was kind of one one loss, or that you know, one loss after another, yeah. although albeit diff, very different losses, but all leaving leaving a mark on you. Yes, I think. It's interesting, isn't it? I I remember when the Queen died. Was that last? Was that last year? Yes. Yeah. Was last it? September, wasn't it? Yes. yes. Um, but I remember when the Queen died, and there was this huge, you know, public outpouring of grief, and and similar when Princess Diana died, and and I was talking to a friend about it and saying, who who was who was terribly sort of dismissive and said, you know, I don't understand why everybody's grieving so much. I mean, it's not like they knew her personally. It's not like she was a member of their family. And I said, you know what I think it is? I think it is that that we do suppress grief so much in our day-to-day lives. You know, we lose friends, we lose family, we lose pets and and loved ones. And and we we give ourselves two hours on a beach to cry about it and then say, right, pull yourself together and get on. We suppress so much grief as a culture that those sort of very public things like the Queen dying or, or Princess Diana, in a way, act as a catharsis. They act as a as a um, as a route for us to access and release some of our own grief. And in that in that respect, I actually think it's a really useful, healthy um, thing to do. And I think mum dying, um, you know, because because I'd had this realization about after Jamie's death and and that horrific decade where it was just it was just one thing after another. Um, I think giving myself permission to grieve properly after mum died has also allowed me to release some of the other grief that was that was still stuck in the box 
um, as a, whether that was grief over Jamie dying, um, grief over my grandmother dying, who died, you know, very, very um, similar time to Jamie, um, grief over um, over the loss um, that I experienced after having cancer and the loss of my ability to have my own children. And, you know, so there was so much in that box. Um, and I think allowing myself to process the grief of over mum has allowed me also to release some of that grief as well. Because so. when it's been suppressed for such a long time, it doesn't all come out just in one in one sort of healing period. Is it? Yeah, exactly. It's those those layers of of grief. Yeah, absolutely. And it's another reason why you know, I say to people, don't be strong, don't be strong, be gentle, mm. don't be courageous, be kind, you know, don't be, don't put a brave face on it, but be compassionate with yourself, be kind to yourself, you know, be gentle with yourself um, and recognise that, especially if you have a lot of suppressed grief, a lot of unprocessed grief, this is a process that takes, in some cases, many, many years um and and can still be the residual that residual grief can still be there many many years later you know i i was talking to a friend of mine not that long ago who lost her father it's got to be coming up for 20 years ago um and actually did relieve um release that grief at the time did properly grieve him but she's very emotionally intelligent woman and she but even now she says even now all these years later there will be moments where it, it still hits her mm-hmm. um and you just have to learn to be gentle with yourself at those times and let go of the, the kind of as we said earlier the judgment and the expectation would you say out of all of it that has been the the greatest lesson from from these losses that you've experienced in your life gosh has there been a another lesson Uh, do you know I I think there are so many lessons um I think absolutely you know being being gentle and kind with yourself letting go of expectation and allowing yourself to really feel and process grief doing so um, and letting go of not only the expectation of yourself, but also the, the the belief that other people will find it uncomfortable. All the things we've talked about and, and many things that we've not talked about. Um, I was just funnily enough, I was before I came on to this interview, um, I was rereading the reading that I gave at my mum's funeral. And. We have a tendency, we talk about eulogising the dead. You know, we have a tendency to place them on a pedestal and, you know, bestow sainthood upon them simply because they've died. And my mum was a very, very complex woman. um, And she wasn't perfect uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Nobody is. Um, And there are many people who have, you know, complicated difficult relationships with their parents and and I'm one of them I had a very complicated relationship with my mum I loved her um, and I still love her but it was complex and 
in the reading that I gave at her funeral, I felt that it was really important to acknowledge that and to, to be respectful and to focus on all of the, the love and the things that she taught me and the things that I learned from her, but not to pretend that she had been perfect. I think it's really important to be honest. Um, and otherwise you, you end up in this position if you're not careful where one of the things that I've learned comes along with grief <laughs> is anger. You know that there are there are there are things you never got to say there are situations that never got resolved there are you know moments that perhaps you've never really forgiven or let go of and now you won't now you won't have the opportunity to say and another thing do you know <laughs> what you did you know blah 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 um and so you know sometimes grief is accompanied by frustration and anger and annoyance and irritation and all of those things and if you've eulogized this person and placed them up on a pedestal and you know and and sainted them as perfect what do you do with all of that anger you just turn it back on yourself you're like well I can't possibly be angry with them because they were of course perfect now that they've died it's like my mum wasn't perfect she was strong and, you know, clever and funny and annoyingly right, actually, about many, many things. <laughs> I actually catch myself so frequently now saying, my mum used to say, and then going, oh, my God, that's so annoying. She was right. Um, but she was also difficult uh, and at times deeply unstable um, and you know, she could be incredibly selfish and very hurtful, but she was also my mum and I loved her. And I think we have to recognise the totality of the person because we also have to be okay with the totality of our emotions about that person. Um, yes. Otherwise, we we can't really process them and we, we can't really release them properly. No, so, and they just get <clears throat> then stuffed into that box. Into that box along and, with everything yeah, else. And every now and again go, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm still here. So that um, was that was a big, big kind of lesson for me. There was one other, actually, if it's all right. There was, there was one other. Because, as I say, I think lots of people have quite complicated relationships with their parents. And, you know, and, and I am no, no exception to that rule. And, and years before she died, actually, I wrote a, a, I wrote a blog about my mum and about the complexity. I didn't go into the complexities of our relationship because that, that wouldn't be fair and it wouldn't be right. And it's not all my story to tell. But um, what I did talk about was for many years, we'd had this very, very difficult relationship. And um, there were there were periods where we didn't speak at all. There were there were periods where I was so angry with her and undoubtedly she was angry with me and when I started working with uh, Mary who was the healer and therapist I was talking about earlier um, we would spend a lot of time talking about my mum and I would spend a lot of time recounting you know the terrible terrible things that she had done and said and how awful it was and how terrible she was and how angry I was with her and and Mary was amazing and she would sit and she would listen and she would let me 
you know, vent and access this anger. Um, and also what was really going on underneath that, which was grief. Um, and then she would say, go and see your mother. And, and I would get so angry. I'd be like, what do you mean go and see her? Have you not listened to a single word I've just said? She's a terrible, terrible, awful woman. And I'm never going to go and see her. And I never want to see her again. And I never want to speak to her. And this went on for quite some time. And then in the end, I remember, I really clearly remember it. I'd had another rant, you know, sitting there going, and another thing she did. Um, and Mary listened very patiently, as she always did. And then she said, okay, she said, listen, please don't think for a single moment that I've not heard you. I have. And, and I know that we've not even got to the bottom of the well of reasons that you have for being angry with your mum. And we've not come anywhere near the bottom of the well of stories that you have about why you are entirely justified in being angry with your mum. And I'm not suggesting that you're not justified. But here's the thing. You need to go and see her. So just do it. You might not understand why. And you might think that I'm crazy for suggesting it. But I am telling you, just do it. And because by then I really trusted her and I've been working with her for a while, I went, okay. So I did. And I went to see my mum. And by that point, she was um, she was in a, a, a nursing home, a care home um, on the Isle of Wight. And I had seen her you know, to, to help her to get settled. And, um, and I was, you know, taking care of all the admin of that, et cetera, but I hadn't been to see her for quite some time at that point. And I would, I would love to say that, you know, I walked in and, and we had this, you know, blissful reunion and she was like, Oh my God, my darling, I'm so happy to see you. But actually by that point, her, her Alzheimer's, her dementia had become so bad that she didn't really know who I was which in and of itself was was quite heartbreaking. Mm. But I sat with her and I said, I'm, I'm really sorry. Um, I'm sorry for all the things that happened to you that, that made you so unhappy. And I'm sorry for all the times that I should have said I was sorry and I didn't. And I'm sorry for being angry for all of this time and perhaps not being the daughter that you wanted me to be. Um, and I'm sorry for putting you in the really horrible position, the invidious position of being a mother who thinks that her daughter hates her because I don't hate you. I love you. And I remember it really clearly because, you know, as I say, she was she was not clear about who I was and not particularly communicative by this point. But she looked at me and she gave me this huge smile. And she put her hands around my face and said, there, there, pretty girl. Um, which is something she used to say to me when I was a kid. <laughs> and on some level, I knew that she'd heard me and that that was her way of saying sorry too. Yeah. And I am forever and eternally grateful that Mary persuaded me to go and that I had that opportunity. And I saw my mum many, many times after that. Um, 
And we had lots of little moments like that where, you know, I would read her poetry from her favourite books or play her the music that we used to listen to and dance around the kitchen to when I was a kid. And there would be these little flashes, these little moments of her coming back and sort of recognising what was happening. But that moment was extraordinary and incredibly freeing. And so I think one of the other things that I would say is don't leave it too late to forgive your parents. Don't they they will have got things wrong, of course. Um, and so did you. <laughs> and they will have made mistakes and undoubtedly hurt you and messed you up and you know, whatever. Um, but it is a lot harder to deal with that and process it after they've gone. Yeah. And a lot easier to do it when they're still around. Even so, if they're in a position where you don't know whether they've heard you, understood you. Yeah. But just going through that process. I think it's so important. And it's so easy to stay trapped in anger and resentment and frustration and annoyance. And and all of those feelings may be 100% justified. You know, I'm, I'm not denying anyone's I was absolutely justified in being angry with my mum mm. she she had done some terrible things and vice versa um but holding on to that only really hurt me um mm. and forgiving her and spending time with her and on some level letting her know that that I was there and that I loved her actually meant that her passing was I do believe genuinely easier for me than it would have been otherwise um and it meant that the grief that I felt wasn't also tinged with regret for all the things yeah. I had had a chance to say you know there there are definitely still things that I didn't get a chance to say but I said the most important which was yeah. I'm sorry and I forgive you and I love you um and so I'm forever great. I'm forever grateful for that opportunity. That was a really big lesson for me. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for for sharing that, Sarah. It's you know obviously at at this particular point in time with emotions as they are around the anniversary. Mm. You know, I really really appreciate you being able to share that. I think that's a such an important lesson that if we can somehow find some some degree of of peace mm. before the grief yeah it just it makes does. things easier it really does it really does and i've i've seen it with so many of my friends or and even in my own family where there is so much left unsaid and unresolved yeah. when a parent dies and it it makes it so much harder and so much more complicated mm. because that grief is is bound up and intertwined with all of this regret and unresolved unresolved issues um and of course we can't speak for for those with whom we have those relationships and the grief for but you know if if going through that process 
gives you some peace, then there's nothing to suggest that they also felt it, experienced it too. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I believe it was an important thing to do for my mum as well. Yeah. Um, but more, how can I put this? There may well be people listening to this who feel like the things that that their parents did or the 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 way that their parents behaved is is unforgivable and and I understand that um and i I would never want to say to anybody you know your your anger is unjustified it is um and and you may be right. You may be right that the things that your parents did, or the 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 way that they behaved, is unforgivable. But all I can say from my own experience is that finding a way to forgive them on some level, the benefit rests with you, and and not necessarily with them. You know, I remember talking to somebody who said, yes, but my mum doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And I went, do you deserve to be released from all of this pain and hurt and anger? Forget about whether your mum deserves to be forgiven. Do you deserve to be released from feeling this bad about this all the time? Because if so, then the route to that, to, to being released from it, is forgiveness. And that was certainly my experience. Wow. That was such a powerful conversation and, and message. Thank you so much, Sarah. I've, it's certainly given me things to think about. It's reinforced things that I sort of feel strongly about as well from my own experience. But that was just beautiful to, to hear that from you about about your experiences and and as always so succinctly put as well so thank you so much for your time today Sarah and yeah carry on being kind to yourself thank you. I will and you thank and you. thank you for for giving me the opportunity to talk about this and to talk about my lovely complicated but ultimately quite wonderful mum Gosh, so much wisdom and good advice in there from Sarah. Thank you so much. Sarah has also got loads of good advice and wisdom for small business owners about marketing and PR. So if you're interested in her work, do check her out at actually.world. Thank you so much to everyone who contributes to the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and of course to you for listening. This podcast will go on for as long as that I've got guests. So if you've got an interesting story about loss and the lessons that you've learned from it, please do get in touch. I'll be back soon with another lesson from loss.